Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Note from the Author, um, the Stacks series where I, Stephen of the Stacks, interview my favourite and, let's be honest, the best writers, primarily on Letterboxd.com and, of course, writers about films. Because, you know, stacks on films. That's our email again, stacksonfilms at gmail.com. If you want to actually send questions about writing or about any of our guests, I'm sure we'd greatly appreciate them. But for now, now, I want to say that um, today's guest needs no introduction because they shouldn't need one. But annoyingly, they do. Um, this is someone I've been so excited about speaking to because if I had to list my favourite reviews on lessbox.com, they would all be from this person. Um, they are doing the most interesting, um, most unique in an internet sense, but not in a wider sense, um, writing on that website, and is someone that everybody should know. Um, but it will do, but not as many as they should. So it is my absolute joy, uh, privilege, and pleasure to introduce, reintroduce, or reacquaint you with the wonderful Pluribus. How are you doing? Hi, Stephen. I'm fine. Excellent. Ah, oh, I cannot oversell how excited I am about this. Um, I am. I find your writing so brilliant and fascinating. And um, I mean, everyone has a process and style, but you so distinctly have a very. I mean, you write so in depth and so at length with a clear research process behind it that I feel it's really necessary to like dig into how that happens. As a very different approach, we've had some very personal writers. We've had some kind of like historicist writers, but no one that is quite doing basically the film criticism um, that's like bordering on academic criticism, in fact, just is, that you are doing. So um, let's start at the top with, with the broadest of questions, and you can take it however you want, really. Mm-hmm. So you don't always write about every film that you see. In fact, it's a special event, which makes it very much more exciting. Uh-huh. So what made you start writing about film? So I guess we should go back a little bit and... Because I had this mm. really great history teacher in middle school, uh, Pak Gun, Mr. Gun. And what he would do is recontextualize what, what we learn in class every day with anecdotes. So we would learn about, like, say, for instance, uh, one of the, like, you learn about, like, the occupation every day, right? You learn about, in every grade, you learn about how the Dutch was first, and then, like, the Japanese, and then the Republic. And... So, um, yeah. for, for our listeners who may not be as familiar, can you um, oh. contextualize what occupation you right. are referring to? Yeah. Shark and a crocodile locked in eternal combat as its mascot, Surabaya. And uh, we're called the City Very of Heroes cool. because on November 10, uh, 19... Crap, I didn't have this in my note. On November 10, uh, <laughs> November 10, in the 1940s, after World War II ended, uh, we fought a losing battle against the British, against your kind. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We, we don't need to contextualize me. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> and the uh, the problem is when 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 my generation was learning about these events decades later, uh, it's from a curriculum that has been stripped out of its context so badly that you don't even recognize who is who anymore. Uh, we we, yeah. we refuse to. <laughs> Name certain people who gave us this republic because uh, political affili- their leftist political affiliations. And uh, so you call them youngsters, you call them Bermuda in our language. And so what, what this history teacher, Pak Gun, uh, did differently is he would recontextualize them. He would tell us that there existed at, at one point before 1945 when... 
the idea of an independent Indonesian Republic is still alien. Like, for instance, uh, Pak Gun's grandmother would secretly hug this portrait of Queen Wilhelmina that she had in in her bedroom when whenever the Japanese came because like oh yeah that's a source of comfort for her who grew up in Dutch Indonesia uh, in the Netherlands English and that that thing taught me a lot a lot it, it primarily mm-hmm. taught me how a lot of our media especially here are like heavily censored are heavily watered down and you can you can still derive you can still learn a lot from them especially when someone is able is willing to recontextualize them for you to sort of like spell out what were these things alluding to even if like say the power structures of the means of media production at the time sort of forbids it from making that subtext text for instance like this is an idea that is widely applied especially in like queer literary theory right and yeah so that's sort of like my inspiration i guess that's how i Yeah. Learn the power of writing, the power of uh, analyzing media, the power of recontextualizing, and, and the power of doing it in in a, in a historicist sense. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're to speak about um, Ben, who we interviewed first, I, w- I mean, Ben is not quite a formalist because he's not just like going straight to the text, but it's more rooted in the his the text evokes to me. It's like a conversation between him and the text. Yep. But your writing is very much in the historicist mode of being like, okay, what is the everything around this? What is the everything that leads up to this? What is the concept? five concepts away that will bridge up to this which is is so broad and is is so weighty it is <laughs> is impressive um, but it's a very distinct way of reviewing films especially on letterboxd mm-hmm. uh ben's reviews kind of kind of operate more on the paratech side right because yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah certainly like if you can read his review of silence and like for for like five six paragraphs it's detailing Uh, a relationship that does relate to the text of the film. It's a film about fate, and he he explains yeah. his response to that text with with his paratext of his relationship. Yes. But it's about paratext. I do think I kind of am not quite comfortable to be that vulnerable on the internet, which is kind of part yeah, of yeah, life. Yeah, I think I think that's true for a lot of people. Yep. I think that's a conversation that we've we've had a few times here. Um, yeah. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. To that extent, would you say that the, the academics is is more of a safety zone for you then? If that thing of this is what I know and this is the way that I can can interact and intersect. Yep, and this is liberating because mm. my family can't read it because my acquaintances can't read it. <laughs> so it's well, that's that's yeah. I never really thought about that. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's a very liberating experience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> living yeah <laughs> <laughs> living uh living as sort of like a, a a leftist person in a country where the anti-communist won a genocide is like very hard <laughs> yeah yeah mm. i mean i can only imagine i mean you know yeah the the uk state is is pretty horrendous but um we are talking like a, a great divergence there i mean yeah i mean we've had some ridiculous news recently about our political system but yep. um Anyway, so so why film then? I think is the interesting thing. So so I understand this like historicist view of this art, this like wider everything is in conversation with everything else, and that the way to approach things mm-hmm. is to approach the details around it. But why film as the fascination point? I think language is a big part of it. Like mm-hmm. uh, I learned English through film. I would say I did have uh, English okay. teachers, obviously, but uh, not all of them are. <laughs> Shall we say not all of them was able to teach me English, uh, 
but yeah. I I got a really solid foundation, but and from there my vocabulary is mostly from film because film is like it's a window to this world that exists in a larger context. Right? Like you read your textbooks in school, and well, as I said, yeah. they're they're heavily stripped of context. Uh, you have daily conversations, and I I like like Ben. Uh, I I grew up in a Catholic school system. I did attend a Buddhist school and a Christian school too, but mostly in a Catholic school system. And um, the conversations I've had, the topics that are encouraged and are sort of like permitted in that environment is very limited and so film becomes this yeah. window into another world and because it's a window through an, to another world i sort and film is tolerated in a lot of ways uh yeah i, I was just thinking about that mm-hmm. it's just like a very safe transgression to it isn't it because like yeah. film is so part of our like wider cultural landscape it's the, i mean weirdly it doesn't have the stigma that like books have which is wild like you see all this thing i mean at the states at the moment about united states obviously yeah um about like the this book not this but this book there is still this like weird taboo attached to literature in that way because it's seen as even academic literature because it's seen as like academic yep. whereas i think because there is the pejorativized state of film because it's still a relatively new medium <laughs> that sense of oh you're just watching movies over there it's that weird zone i feel like games are too new so they get pejoratized yep. um books are too old and films is like liminal zone of being like ah go watch a film no one cares yeah it's it exists in this part of mass media that is like can take them as innocuous uh there, there like there are controversies yeah. around film but thankfully they tend to be better because like i think the film academy world here is a lot more progressive than the rest of the society uh why do you think that is mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Uh, so take for instance the controversy in television because I do view them as separate here. In television, back when I grew up, uh, yeah. openly trans people can can have TV shows. Uh, look up okay. Dorje Gamalama for instance. Like, she's been chased off to uh the internet now because the the, the national censorship board would not tolerate that kind of thing being aired on TV now. Whereas yeah. In film, recently there has been like screenings of the propaganda films of the New Order. Uh, for context, the New Order is uh, the military dictatorship that was established in 1965 after the anti-communist okay. genocides. Uh, they are perpe- the perpetrators of the genocide indirectly. But uh, and the controversy was not uh, was more centered around the fact that these are propaganda films. Like we are moving forward in that sense. Like in academia and in education, yeah. So I would say, and here's the thing: like there are mainstream directors who are teaching mainstream film courses in like public universities who openly make queer films. Like, uh, was it two thousand or two thousand eighteen? But uh, there's a film called Kuchumbu Tumbu Idaku. Uh, I think the English title is Memories of My Body, which explores okay. this idea of like. About the body, the gendered body as performance through through this traditional yeah. Javanese art form, and like the government kind of approved it, like they did the the National Film Board selected it for for uh what what's the category called this the uh best international picture at the Oscars? Yeah. Yeah. Like. Oh wow. Okay. Like in a lot of sense, uh, the f- because because I think so many people in this country look towards films as. Not quite a form of escapism, but that window into another world, and also as a yeah. platform to bring that other world here. That 
we are a lot. I do more... really like your dichotomy there. I really like the the making the the clarification that a, a window into something is very different because I think treating art as escapist can be important for us um, outside of that. And yep. I think yes, you're right. The idea of like looking into something is is, is very very distinct. It's uh, it's what Elena Sofo- sorry Elena Kofoski Sachwick called it reparative reading. So you uh, Sachwick herself established this dichotomy. Dichotomy that I don't quite agree with between paranoid reading and reparative reading. So this idea is that when you paranoid read, you look for like the problematic aspects of a media, whereas in yes, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, 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 I don't agree with that, but I do agree for the need for reparative reading. That that sort of like looking into film and recognizing its potential as a social platform, as a source of healing, as a source of like catalyst for solidarity. Uh, and it yeah. makes sense, right? Because Sedgwick established uh, sort of like the modern basis for queer literary theory. So, yeah, because queer art for centuries must be subtextual, it, it does make yes. sense that there's, a, there's an emphasis on looking at the subtext and making most... I, I think it's really interesting... Like to, to to link that to more like pulpy example, I feel like there's that sense with if, if I'm approaching something, it's very much the degree of if I'm familiar of like what kind of reading has the filmmaker earned. There are some there are some people who I know I always do the kind of like the generous read. There's that sense of which is which is a good thing to do with that sense of if I'm going to presume that this is pointing at good things, how can I find the good things in it? Or if there are things to be there. Yet there are some filmmakers who I'm always going to read in that paranoid way, as you clarify. Mm-hmm. Like I know that you've done bad, um, therefore I'm going to become looking. Um, so there is a sense of I think like if if come too blankly, I think the generous read is a very important theme because it's exercising your ability to find something, even if it's not like Pauline Kill and what's his name again, MacDonald. Uh, oh, oh, I need to Google this one. Uh, who, <laughs> who is who, which MacDonald are we talking about? Um. Ah yeah, Dwight McDonald. So back in 1965, <laughs> Pauline Kael published this essay, right? Uh, yes. No, collection of essays. I lost it at the movies. This is was before Pauline Kael, the New York, the New Yorker critic, and yeah. In his review, and I have this on my notes. Perf- Dwight McDonald calls her <laughs> perversely literal-minded, and accuses her of having an aesthetic insensibility to the sensual pleasures of cinema when she dislikes the literary content, right? <laughs> so and I forgot who summarized sort of like the feud here but you can read it as for critics like Pauline Kiel film is to be interrogated the 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 intrinsic yeah. word of film is not something to be taken for granted it is a mixture of pop culture and quote unquote high art and so you have to interrogate it every time whereas for someone like uh, Rod McDonald who exists in sort of like the more older but also kind of like leftist academic base of like American film theory, uh, the, 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 the inherent potential of film is like unquestionable. It's like everything they do, everything we do in film academia and also in filmmaking kind of intrinsically believes in that inherent potential of cinema. We have a position here because I do think both of them well, have... they get asked my question. <laughs> at least in terms of like... Us, what is socially responsible? I do think Pauline Kiel's big Pauline Kiel's uh, more interrogative approach is the one that is more interesting to me, and is also kind yes. of like the, the 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 because these things are not quite a dichotomy too. In my opinion, like 
the fact that you are inter- yeah, no, I agree. Uh-huh. the fact that you are interrogating quote unquote the literary content of a film is a testament that you do believe in the inherent potential of film which is yes. why it's important to interrogate that literary content because it's a powerful medium and if you use it for evil well it is powerfully evil in a way Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. There's that sense of like, because I feel that I am the the overly interrogative mode of like really going for things. But that for me comes this belief in the there are things out there that that are so brilliant and so powerful, and because of what film can do and because of the reach that it has, there is that need for betterment. There is that need for it to exactly. be like an an aspirational medium that that I think can really do things. And if not, do think that like film alone is like causing any big social change. I, I don't believe that at all. But I believe that it's a thing that can draw minds to places that then can find the real things that make things happen mm-hmm. so what's the next question <laughs> so the next question excellent question um so your reviews um which are so you write few reviews and they are tagged when they are tagged as um referenced reviews um and they're usually spoiler tagged as well of that sense of like demarcancy i mean because you, you you're treating it um as a literary text so therefore you're going to inherently deal with spoilers in that way that mm-hmm. weird spoiler culture is like anathema to um that's a conversation for a different time but i'm sure we both agree that's very ridiculous um so a lot goes into this and you do write few reviews about few films um so the question that i, I propose to you is how do you prepare but i want to i want to stagger this somewhat so how do you decide what movie gets the plurry treatment to begin with? Is it an in-the-moment thing or is it a preparatory thing? I never approach a film with the intent of writing about them. Except in one case. Mm. When, uh, yeah, the, the the main thing is that this... I'll segue into that. Uh, crap. <laughs> I am very... I am very... Very... Uh, yeah, this is a very fluid piece of writing, isn't it? <laughs> so, when when I approach... A film. Uh, I I don't yeah. really think. Oh yeah, I'm gonna review this. I I just watch films and then sometimes the film provokes a strong enough reaction in me that I feel like oh yeah, this requires uh, not requires but like I am feeling like I want to write about this. This is an interesting piece of media which says interesting things which is can be put into an interesting okay. context, and. That means generally my my process goes like this. I watch the film. I feel like I want to write about the film. I do the research and then I do the writing. Yeah. And this is why it takes so long because that research in the middle means that that sort of like initial momentum is lost generally because I'm reading in advance before the to write uh, yeah. <laughs> about that one. But it's more about it's more about how how just messy that process is like and yeah <laughs> i mean would you is it a thing you'd want to streamline or is it like a because i feel like a lot of people like there's, there's a thing in like teaching pedagogy um about like demonstrating messy thinking of that being an important process in learning of like to put across to students that cognition is not neat that cognition happens kind of like sporadically and because obviously when experts impart things, they make it look effortless and that can be a problem because it's very effortful. Um, so you describe it as a messy process. Is that necessarily a bad thing or is that a necessary thing? No, I don't believe it's a bad thing. Would you streamline it? Uh, I do want to be able to write more because simply uh, I uh, I got, I saw that last year I, I did less than one a month and I do want to bring that number up a little bit because uh, Why? not, 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 
not in terms of like quantity for quantity sake, but I am actually enjoying writing more and like I do have okay. a finite amount of time to dedicate to it in any given year. Yeah. So I want to use that time better. So uh, what I've noticed is that if I o- am already familiar with uh, the, the context that I am trying to put the film into, it will generally take me faster. Like, yeah. for instance... Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> when, when, so like when, if I'm citing uh, an article published in uh, Critical Inquiry, I probably won't take a lot, a lot, it probably won't take a lot of time for me to already familiar with those stuff but uh, especially because I read a lot of in the context of history and history is one field that I think too many of us kind of are overly confident in our sort of like perceived under, perceived self-perceived understanding of like especially the history <laughs> of other countries so well if it helps I, I'm throwing the opinion that I know basically nothing about history <laughs> very aware of my ignorance yeah but like that's that's already that's already a great place to be because when you're aware of your ignorance and i i I do have like i i want to stress on this a lot like when you're aware of your ignorance at at least you know you know you're ignorant the problem is when you're not aware of that ignorance right yes (laughs) the consciously competent as opposed to unconsciously or unconsciously incompetent that matrix Uh, yeah that that matrix Mm -hmm. so it takes me a long a lot of time. I, I take mm. a lot a lot of time in these things because I don't want to be that guy who uh, inevitably spreads like, oh yeah, mate, back yeah, into the sort of like cultural recycle bin. <laughs> they should be deleted yeah, I mean, off. Uh-huh. A, a thing that I really, really like admire about yourself is, is, is your kind of like tenacity to really get to the source of something. It reminds me of so, a really good friend of mine, um, Diego, watched the... Um, the Czech New Wave film Daisies and, and really, really loved it and was reading around about it and kept coming across this same story that reviews kept reporting about how it was like um, banned under the regime, like the, the the communist regime rebelled against it. And he looked into that source and he found out that it was going to the same Wikipedia article that was like based on nothing, like literally based on nothing. Because he had like the idea that this this didn't make sense to him. He was like, well, that why would that happen? And when he interrogated it, found it to be as far as he could tell, unsupported. And there may be wider support, but people are getting it from a place that is not supported. So maybe there is support, but it doesn't exist there. Um, and you see this kind of like, this potential mistruth yep. in so many Letterboxd reviews and in so many places. Um, but you are always a person that goes sources, sources, sources. Now, do you have like a, a way of doing that? like a Or do you have any tips for others if they want to look into the sources of how to do that? Because I feel that it's very unfamiliar to most people. So I think... The first sort of like base assumption that you need to have is that unless this, unless it's a primary source, so, and even primary yep. sources will have its problem, unless it's primary sources, dub it. And the good secondary sources will tell mm. you, alluded to Wikipedia, Wikipedia is a great place to start with your review because from there you can go to the citations and then from you, the citations like, would... Uh, lost, lo- lost you for a bit there, but I'm sure that it's in your recording. Oh yeah, uh-huh. Uh, you alluded to Wikipedia earlier, but uh, and it's a great place to start yeah. your review because uh, the editors of Wikipedia, to some extent, like you will find falsehoods in the in the in the main body of the text. But if you if you treat it as like a way to get citations, uh, yeah. it it will be a much better research experience, and they would even like fi- find you the archive, the archive dot link already if like if it's taken down from the original or whatever. From there, yeah. So like, 
this is where I ended up in a lot of like old newspaper articles. I don't randomly quote, try to find the source. It can be really hard, especially if it's not. Yeah. If yeah, like recently I came across. Uh, what was it? Uh. Oh yeah, right. Like this. Uh, in my review of Barking Dogs Never But there's this uh anecdote of Bridget Bardot in a Korean TV interview, right? And I was never able to find that original recording of like Bridget Bardot on Korean TV, <laughs> like. But I was able to find uh like oh yeah this this uh Wire News so Wire News are like the AP Agence France Française, Agence Presse Française like the news organization that sells news to other news outlets and like they would. Write out dispatches, and they are generally reliable within within constraints. So, do you find yourself having to go on a limit points of being like, I know this is reputable enough from my previous experience, yeah. and then just have exactly. to stick with it? Does that keep oh, Does that keep you up at night a little bit sometimes? You're like, oh, I'll never know. I never truly know. That does. <laughs> I'm a bad sleeper. <laughs> I don't sleep enough. <laughs> that does keep me up at night. Uh, who does? Yeah, and it's also one of the things that makes the research process take long because, like, oh yeah, I find this really good quote that fits really well into my arguments but like is it did they ever really say that too like it sounds really good in fact the better they sound the more suspicious i am yeah yeah yeah, yeah. do you often go to things with an agenda or does the agenda come from what you find hmm i do think i have an agenda i want i want us to be able to better i want us to be better able to picture a better future i want us to in the face of like yeah transgressions incredible cruelty they're like oh yeah we need to resist this because a better future is possible i think like the 21st century yeah. existence is leans itself very easily towards misanthropy towards despair towards doomerism yeah. and i do think i do have that agenda of like i want i want to say no people like this this attitude is part of why this thing is perpetuated you need to resist it yes <laughs> and like i Obviously, obviously, a lot of people don't exist in spaces that gives them the privilege of political, of being able to like polit- do political activism, political engagement. Even Marx yeah. acknowledged, right? Like, uh, you before you engage in culture, politics, art, you need to be able to feed yourself and put a roof over your head and like. Yeah. But like, especially us privileged people who can spend copious amounts of time on the internet whining about <laughs> movies i think like there is yeah. there is a level of polit- socio political responsibility that you do need to sort of like embrace especially if you come from privileged groups uh i do think like in terms of like specific topics like i don't approach uh the batman for instance with with the intent of like writing this teardown about like the liberal culture of hope of like yeah. the american democratic party but well that's what the film is trying to tell me and like inevitably that <laughs> becomes your response to the film because that's what the film is trying to tell you i want to touch on on your the batman review i hate having to say the batman <laughs> i want to touch on your the batman review um really quickly so there's, there's a bit it's been a little bit since i read it. i read it when you wrote, wrote it and i haven't gone back mm-hmm. to it i should have done for this but there's a bit in it that really stuck out to me. You take one of the images from the film and you contextualize it with, with a political and historical image. Um, and that's like one, one of the crux of your argument. Was that a thing that when you watched the film that triggered in your mind or was that a later discovery? Uh, 
when I watched the film, like when when they, uh, we're we're going to spoil the Batman here, so uh, listeners, yeah, you yeah, might yeah, wanna yeah, skip yeah. ahead a little. But uh, when when they come into the Superdome or whatever it's called in the film, yeah, that's like that image because I saw those images on TV when I was little, and like, oh yeah, yeah. that's it. What what the hell? They're they're actually like evoking the images of Hurricane Katrina in the same way a lot of like. Disaster film evoked the images of 9-11, American politics of the film, it like, it prompted this kind of like visceral gut reaction in my, in my tummy. It's like, this is kind of fucked up. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, you, there has been times where... I mean, because I, I feel that need. I'm, I'm going to present it to you as you as well do. And I think you've alluded to me that you do. Of like, when you come across this thing and it, it triggers something in you, and I mean trigger in, 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 in the wider sense of it like connects to a memory or a piece of academic thought or something that you know, and it makes you think like, oh no, this is about this. And you see other people engaging with it and, and, and not picking up on that. Do you feel like duty bound to like like present that? Does that feel like more than an urge, but more like a verging into responsibility, I guess? I don't labor under the delusion that I'm the only one who connects them, of course. Like, most of the time. No, I, uh-huh. I, 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 I don't think that you are yeah. the only one, uh-huh. but, like, do you feel the, the, the needs to present that in any way? But I do think... Yeah, I do I do feel duty-bound a little. Mostly because mm. it's the same as, like, to go back to Pak Gun, to Mr. Gun. Like, he doesn't need to go beyond the curriculum, but, like, he feels okay. he feels the need to because his audience is that 20 children in his classroom, and, like, if he can impact them... He can impact them. He he yeah. he had that opportunity and he took it. And I kind of feel the same way about like sort of like, oh yeah, the Batman is a post Katrina film. Like a lot of yeah. a lot of the discourse around it was around how oh yeah, superhero film do political subtext now and like, oh come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I feel like yeah sure like among the 20, 30, 40, 50 people who are in my letterbox network. Like yeah, if I if I have this piece of thought, I'll put it out there, and like if it can impact people positively, good. But a lot of it is also kind of like clarifying my thoughts, right? Because when you write, yeah. you also interrogate yourself a little bit. Like, was yes, did yes, this 100%. line of thinking make sense? Did this line of thinking not make sense? And the more the longer you take with that process, the more you're able to see like if there are flaws in your argument. It's kind of like editing a text. You don't really see the punctuation errors yeah. until like several days later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of why you um, need to bring a fresh pair of eyes in. <laughs> I totally agree. Do, do you ever... ...words isn't quite there or your argument doesn't quite withhold the sources? Have you got really deep into a project and just been like, actually, no? Hmm. I think... Generally... I, uh, most of my drafts die. Like, uh, most yeah. of my drafts die. Like, I have probably double the amount of reviews that I've published that will yeah. never see the light of day because they... But most of the time, I lost interest because, like... Uh, so, for instance, like, with Heavenly Creatures, because Heavenly Creatures is an interesting... I, re- I, remem- I remember you having watched that and I remember you going to newspaper articles yeah. and I was waiting for the... I started... I not see the movie. Uh, I started because it's a quote-unquote true crime film, right? And I started going yeah, back yeah. to, like, New Zealand newspaper articles and, like, collecting clippings. And then I stumbled upon this site. Uh, I forgot if it's like an officially run site or a fan site, but it already has like all the receipts. Like, oh yeah, this is the case. Yeah. This is like someone's, someone uh, using the case as a platform to argue against something or for something. And like, this is what the filmmakers were trying to say with this. And I'm like, sort of like, 
uh, cases where my readings doesn't really hold up to scrutiny. Let let me browse back to my folder. Uh, letterbox. So for instance, with memories of murder for the longest time, I kind of like. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 because I sort of understand what it's alluding to, but for the longest films that are really like it's not trying to hide the subtext from you it's actively like no, in no, your face no they're not <laughs> yeah and memories of murder felt really sort of like up especially in the con- in the political context of the film because when when i first saw it it was after the host because the host was a really big success here i saw it and like yeah. wait so this is part of a movement because in south korea at the time they were arguing that the police should abolish the uh, status of limitation precisely because like hey look there are murderers out there who have never been caught right and when i first saw memories of murder it's almost somewhat like this film th- doesn't this film kind of like feed into that sort of like pr- Ooh. infantilizing Ooh, of like violence of like hey like there are very there are crimes that doesn't make sense how do we deal with it and like doesn't this kind of feed into that Uh, was it the Sainori party at the time that was trying to abolish the status of limitation and like expand police powers in South Korea? They they eventually got that reform, by the way. Like, uh, status yeah. of limitation for murder and some other crime got extended or abolished altogether in South Korea. And when I first saw that film, that that was kind of like my reading. So then I I I I was writing some 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 of these things down. But then I kind of looked yeah. into it, and then I. I I saw other films which kind of like explored sort of like that, that uh looking into the abyss sort of like is Asian cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, the, the heart of the heart of darkness idea. Yeah, very much the so. heart of darkness. So like uh cure and then uh the yep. wailing and it does like that reading. I mean, even doesn't. even even Zodiac to an extent. Zodiac is very much the American cousin of Memories of Murder. I have not seen Zodiac. <laughs> I'd be really interesting to take on that. I mean, I mean, I I, I treat Zodiac the same way that I treat um, Seven, which is when someone mentions those movies, I say, "Have you seen Blah?" When someone mentions Seven, I go, "Have you seen this film called Cure? It's better." And when someone <laughs> mentions um, Zodiac, I'm like, "Yes, but Memories of Murder," because I I adore Memories of Murder. It's easily my favorite of his films, and and for me, it as I, I've written about it quite a length actually. Mm-hmm. It's it's a film about if you look enough, you will find something. And that doesn't mean that it exists. Yeah. That sense of, there is that that motif of him looking through that tunnel constantly, constantly. It's so, it's so for me, a film about how the verb policing as it's used in our society does not match up with the noun of the police. What the police actually do is not what we view as policing. Yep. Like so many of us, myself included, will use policing as like a casual, and I've tried to stop myself. I'm like, I need to police this, blah, blah, blah. It's so casual in our language that it creates this myth about what it actually is. And there's an amazing bit of Memories of Murder where they can't like, they don't manage to do something very important because they're too busy oppressing people that are trying to protest. Yeah. Like it, uh-huh. is, it is such a clear interrogation of that idea of people like, people join the police to solve crimes and do things like, no, that is not what it is at all. These are like violent idiots who are just like absolutely stumbling their way through things and find things by accident. And it's confirmation bias. If you look long enough, you'll find something. Yep, exactly. And this is why that review will never see the light of day because as I read, <laughs> as I read more about the film, it, it becomes clear to me that, no, this that isn't what Bong is trying to accomplish it. He's not he's not sensationalizing the crimes to sort of like Yeah. Even even if like 
unconsciously pushing that agenda of like, oh yeah, empower the yeah, police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so like that draft died there. And just like how you mentioned how it's important for academicians to stress that, no, the process of like lying out an idea, an argument is laborious. It's not effortless. I think yeah. it's also like quite important for us to say that, oh yeah, like even that long laborious process is not productive a lot of the times. And that's that's part mm-hmm. of what's important. Like in in biology, there's this crisis of like, there's not enough replication studies. Like people are not doing enough uh, studies that are trying to confirm or check other people's research because it's not glamorous. Yeah. Because it's not fun. Oh, actually, I, 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 have an, I have an anecdote that links to that. I, I, I will keep the names out of mm-hmm. it because I think I should, I mean, I don't think I'm supposed to know, but um, someone that I do know um, is, works in, in, in lab research um, for a with a university, I won't say which, uh-huh. um, and got increasingly frustrated because the study they were looking at was not getting the expected results and therefore was seen as being a failure. And their point was being like, actually, if it doesn't go that way, that's very important. And they realised through that, through speaking to people and reading primary documents and then re- listening to the speeches given across, how much information is just like casually falsified because institutions don't want to accept failure. Um, because actually it's really important if a experiment fails then you know that doesn't work yeah. and that you won't try it again but there's no funding for oh it didn't work in the end because in a success driven system with a narrow definition of success it's like you have to make it look like your research worked you have to skew the data to make it look like there was a success there which means that these growing like buildings of fallacies in like academic research which makes it so interesting to me when people treat science as apolitical as like um, outside of morality uh-huh. which had a conversation about this recently actually um <laughs> on the discord of this idea that there is like a sacrosanct kind of like neutral science out there that is just like pushing itself towards raw truth and like how ridiculous that is because science is not like science is done by people it's a process it's a yeah. thing that we do like, you can't take out people out of anything that people do like no that mm. doesn't that won't like boring data normalize publishing mm. oh yeah I, I i i i i juggled some beaker around and like nothing happens like normalized publishing yeah this doesn't do anything <laughs> <laughs> we, we put it word in yeah um, i mean we could talk about this for, for, for too long but there's, there's one thing that i've been i really really want to talk to you about and this is this is also a way of like interrogating my, myself as well um so I mean, actually, I mean, seeing as you've been so open, like I, I, I will be open with that thing. I mean, you, you've talked about your your memories of murder thing, and I was thinking back on that, and I think I think you were part of this conversation. Actually, um, there was one time where I wrote an entire review of a film, and I just had like a a weird feeling about it, and I and I went to the the letterbox Discord, and I just brought up the movie, and I was like, I think it's about this, and everyone was like, What are you talking about? <laughs> and I was like, No, I'm pretty sure it's about this, and I had like one of the most like fulfilling and interesting conversations, um. And and I, I went back and, and, and rewrote the entirety of it. And that was a really kind of like humbling experience for me because like in a very positive way, because that was like at the beginning of like a degree of like letterboxed notability. I'm not like hugely notable, but like, like I have a following. And like there's that sense of you get buoyed up of being like, because people read this, it's because I have the hot takes and the best takes and all the right takes. And you can get very caught up in the, I watched the film. I don't need to really think about it, blah, 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 and just go and not realise that wider dialogue is important. Um, that movie was Boy's State, by the way. I forgot to mention Boy's that at the beginning. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if you were in the conversation at the time or not. I know that um, that Samantha very much was um, 
Mark, uh, as Deef, and um, I think Ben as well. Um, it was it was it was an interesting time. I've not seen the film. I think I think that's probably from the before times. Before I was in that disco. Ah, the before uh-huh. times. Um. So my 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 wider question is about accessibility. Oh yeah. Um. And I mean I mean accessibility not in a very very narrow sense to the extent we should have a better word for this. I guess I mean like readability. Um. So it's it's interesting to me like it's. There's a there's a poet that I really like um, called Attila the Stockbroker, um, who is a performance poet. And um, I went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with some friends and I dragged them along to go see him because I was like, you will like this. This is the thing you will enjoy. And they're like, it's poetry. We're not interested. And they all loved it. And they said it was one of the best things they went to because I knew they would. Um, and he has a phrase that he goes back to and I think you can get on T-shirts is most people don't like poetry because poetry doesn't like most people. Which is the idea of there are certain ah. like art forms that present themselves as 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 above people, as a distance from people, and you as someone, and me as someone to a lesser extent that has a very academic style of writing. I think my first sub question is: Do you ever fear that the people that read your writing are already not the people that needs to be reading it? That you're not reaching the audience that actually you should be truly informing? Wow, I'm speechless. <laughs> I think the main mm, how how do you put this? I think uh, there's there's this two aspects of film writing. There's the journalistic yeah. aspect and then the academic aspect. So uh, and just to be clear from the beginning, I'm not trying to say one is superior to the other or not. These are just yeah. two functions. We fall into modes. <laughs> we we have ways of writing. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. certainly. So the journalistic aspect of a film film writing is at least in the English speaking world tend to be uh, as a consumer protection tool, as a consumer advocacy tool, uh, a, a critic would yeah, see a film news, you know. and then inf- inform the inform the consu- film consumer. Hey, this is there's this film coming out from this person about this thing. It does these things in this way, uh, and yeah. by providing you with this information, uh, you can b- make more informed decisions about where to put your money because film co- film costs costs money for people. Yeah, product review. Yeah. It goes back to like, I mean, I remember because my, my infancy of writing was I started with video games and, and very much moved on to film. And I remember like speaking to my dad about it as young and actually, and I so disagree with this now, but I remember saying to him, the thing that I like about video games is because there are distinct features of them of like, the graphics are good. The gameplay is good. There are these like <laughs> objective markers that you can hang to, which to me gave it more worth at that point. And now I even realise that that was wrong and that that was like a stupid statement. But you know, as we're very very young, mm-hmm. there's that sense of, are you writing about art slash politics or are you writing a product review? And yes. to many people, films are products. Yep, exactly. And then there's the academic function, right? Like, yeah. to go back to Sedgwick, uh, Sedgwick it's it's not writing to the masses. Sedgwick is writing. In a in a in a film critic journal, she's not writing in the New yeah. Yorker, and I think that's fine. I think like because ultimately academicians provide sort of like the raw ingredients that would fuel the journalistic aspect because these two things are not insular. Uh, academic film writing informs journalistic film writing, and journalistic film writing I think yes. are how you reach the masses because, well. The the, the 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 systems of power at play and then like the the, the entire like that's a very astute point uh-huh. 
because like if you that's a very astute point so to to bring up wikipedia again now mm. like wikipedia if you go to wikipedia for old films it will have like a thing of being like and this film is now held up as like a a key example of blah movement or blah politics mm. so you're right that like the, the wider the wider kind of like academic discourse becomes the normalized discourse over time like once 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 a text has become an, an interrogated text that becomes part of its identity even like as a journalistic item yeah and like so it's fine that I- even if you're not uh, reaching like the people that needs this like i would argue yeah. f- for someone in my position the most efficient thing to do politically is to speak in indonesian because like yeah. for for me at least like uh that's probably like there are a lot like when part of why i really like uh the film wider film community is because like like i can see like minded people and like sort of like be uh validated like no you're not insane just because like everyone everyone around you like would probably not tolerate the ideas you have in your head like and yeah but also at the same time like by each of us like is putting uh putting a bit a bit of ourselves into that project right of like pushing the envelope yeah. sort of like normalizing these ideas normalizing these modes of writing normalizing you know speaking about these ideas in a in a very public setting and like it's not being read by like the people who needs it the most because like ultimately it's probably accumulative in that sense like you'll you'll yeah. help at no matter how small in like normalizing the discourse around these ideas i i don't know i think like a, a, a thing that i think about a lot there like i i was very much i think quite foolishly of of that idea for a while of the you need to really get people in the moment and if you don't get them in the moment you haven't got them and i feel like that's like a a problem that like the discourse has been in, in the discourse in general and through wider conversations i was very much reminded of and brought the sense of that thing of being like if you have a debate or an argument it's not about winning it in that moment and it's not about convincing in the moment it's it's remembering that people think over time and like planting seeds of thought so yes the person may not read that thing that you have read but someone will and will talk to someone. It's like, again, viewing like the, the social webs of things, I think you're right. I think information does get to people uh-huh. and the way that it gets to someone will be the often, not maybe the best way, but that's the way that it's going to get to them. So it's, I think, contributing to the wider sphere as long as you're not being elitist and exclusionary in your writing, which I think academics often are. I think we can get, and I, I'm very guilty of this. <laughs> um, no, I, no, no, I mean, you laugh, but very much so. I am I'm someone who... I know there comes a point where I can just throw out a long word or a few long words and that will cover up my actual misunderstanding here. Um, and that's a thing I know I can do. And that's a mode I try to avoid, but it's one that you fall into. Um, but I don't think academics and academic writing has to be that way. Sometimes it's just the most clear language to put across complicated ideas. Complicated ideas take complicated writing. Mm. And while we're on the topic of science somewhat, like... Uh... This is kind of like also the distinct the distinguishing feature between a science communicator and like a researcher, right? Like the mm. distinction is often less clear in in fields that does not involve like uh, physical experiments, but also like there is still that this that sort of line between putting an idea out there and sort of like being able to communicate that compellingly to a mass audience. Like that's a different and. An entirely different thing. Like yeah. part of why I admire is that they're able to like sort of like 
they are ultimately writing journalistic reviews, but they're so infused in that academic mode of writing that they also really inform the consumer of, of like these larger ideas. Mm. And like, yeah. And just just to punctuate that point on like the accumulativeness of idea a little bit. Uh, uh, you remember Guy, right? Yep, I do. Yeah. So, so when uh, like one of the most popular quotes about Suhoki is that like the the, the whole thing. The the most uh the most fortunate thing is to die, and like that sentiment was because like Suhoki is a leftist political activist during the New Order during Su Suharto's dictatorship, and for them, winning in the moment is impossible. They either die, get sent to jail, or you know yeah. fall into despair and die. <laughs> and but like that that is the ultimate defiance to still do it anyway and sort of like understand that yeah you might yeah. not be able to see that future you might not be able to win to shift this paradigm on your own or with your collectively with your uh people but do it anyway it will be like yep yes yes <laughs> yes yes i've i've spoken about this in assemblies and things because obviously like b- being an english teacher occasionally you have to like do like generic assembly on on the power of books <laughs> and um the one I go, it's not even like a book that is like, it's not even like a favorite book of mine. And I actually prefer the filmic adaptation to the, to the book itself. And I've not watched film for a long time. But like the the most like influential, weirdly political moment on me is um, towards the end. In fact, it's kind of like directly at the end. No, actually, no, it's not even there. It's, I think it's like kind of in the middle of um, Cuckoo's Nest, for the Cuckoo's uh-huh. Nest, where uh, Randall P. McMurphy walks over to this um, water fountain thing and goes to lift it and everyone's just like you can't lift that thing and he fails to lift it and his thing is but at least i tried and that was just like so politically resonant to me and has been like such a spur of everything that i try to do of and some of it's like a very like individual individualistic idea of being like it's easy to live with myself if i tried to that thing but link back to your thing it's that thing of doing the thing even if you know it's going to fail because it's able to do i don't know if you've seen the ascent um no the, I know um, which film, but oh, it's such a wonderful movie and like i know people that have written things about like how it can like i don't know like lionizes um self-sacrifice but for me it's very much a wider allegorical film about the need to stick to principles if your principles are worth sticking to and i guess that does fall back to writing of like no one's going to read this but it needs to be written anyway because it's the right thing to write yep. on and mm-hmm towards the end because there's some some weighty questions left i feel we've covered quite a lot of the middle thing quite quite a wide-reaching conversation uh-huh. um so um well there are things i wanted to say i don't know if they if they still fit in anymore um hmm. well all right let's go for the pressure and expectation question mm. um obviously you, you you do write in a specific way and i know like i mean talking to you i was you know i will admit i'm a little bit nervous you you are a very intelligent person um, you are, an, to an extent, an intimidatingly intelligent person with like this like breadth of knowledge at your fingertips or nowhere to look from it from. Um, does that become self-fulfilling to the extent that you feel pressurized to perform in that way, to write in a certain way? Or does that make it more difficult? I mean, in terms of my writing, it's more... Uh, let's go with ideas first. Like, I... I yeah. Like, uh, well, sometimes when I finish watching a film, I'll shoot like, oh yeah, these are my notes. Uh, and then I'll never revisit them again. Uh, I do think that. Yeah. I uh, I do think that in terms of like putting things out there, uh, th- I do feel a certain responsibility even before I write and before people read them that 
they need to be thought out. They need to be yeah. like I, uh, like I said before, I don't want to be repeating like stuff from the internet recycle bin, <laughs> and <laughs> that is like the primary expectation for me. Like the day I fear the most is when I fail to notice I'm following a fallacious uh, logical logical thought pattern. Mm-hmm. That is my biggest fear. That's kind of also why I bury myself in research, right? Because like I want, I want to be able. Yeah. Okay. Because knowing that a lot of academicians and like a lot of people who know who know their stuff have come to the same conclusion or have worked towards a similar supporting adjacent conclusion, kind of puts yeah. confidence in me because like that's that's kind of the thing, right? Like you you can't. It's trying to account for. That potential to fall into solipsism, that idea that oh, you need to also think about how other people are thinking, not not to follow in like consensus or anything, but also to see that yeah. are you making sense? Are you being factual? Are you being truthful? Are you do you believe in your own argument? And yeah, that's that's sort of like the main burden of expectation for me, kinda. Yeah. That's also. And because Letterboxd kind of structures itself as a, a block, right? It's not. Like quite Twitter, like your reviews kind of sticks in there, like to your profile. People, people yeah. will click one button on your profile and they will re- can read back to everything you've said about every film you've reviewed there. Yep. So <laughs> I will, I do want to sort of like be more, be more thoughtful about that. There's also because when I started writing reviews, my first other review on Letterbox was Mank. It was reference, but there there <laughs> were there were there are these Agnes Varda films that I saw and they. Cinema Verita has this energy of spontaneity that kind of like energizes you into embracing spontaneity after you watch them also. Yeah. And reading back on those, like I'm happy with my thoughts on the films, but Good. they're also written in a way that assumes, oh yeah, I'm talking to this other person who just saw the film too, who definitely remembers all the scenes that I'm, I vaguely allude to. Like, it doesn't quite make sense as sort of like a... Uh, Something you put out for other people out there, right? Oh, because that's a concerning line of thought for me because I like thinking about being like, is that going to like everyone? Right? Interesting. Like when I reviewed, I'm thinking of many things. Uh, then mm-hmm. I came across. Uh, I remember this uh, piece of research, right? On 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 like the four types of audience reception, and yeah, I think what I'm. I've been trying to do more, knowing that people actually do read my reviews a bit now. Yes. Is that uh, I want to make sure my authorial audience makes sense. Like, yeah. Obviously, there are people who, like, my primary consumption of film, film critique is I watch a film, I, I read reviews of that film. I don't really re- read reviews yeah. in advance. And. Yeah, we've talked about that on, on other episodes. Mm-hmm. I think, like, us as a community are very much in that mode of that's like I skip my friends' reviews until I have seen the film unless it's just like I'm not gonna watch this, so who cares? Yeah. The authorial audience that I'm trying to conceive this this is more along the lines of a magazine reader. Like you stumble across this thing. Like if you if you, if it's a film you want yeah. to watch, like it, it would make more sense if you watch the film first. But like I'll I'll try to be more descriptive, uh right in that mode of like if someone stumbles upon this on a magazine not having access to the film, they will still maybe be able to make sense of what I'm trying to say. Okay. 
That's really interesting. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know we talked to to Zebra about like his idea of trying to like evoke the feeling of seeing the film, which I think is like an extension of that. But I think it's it's interesting how much you feel the burden to evoke the film in the writing as opposed to just like right around the film. Uh, I think I'm very much more of a right arounder as opposed to an evoking it. Um, so, for for our last two questions, we're, we're gonna finish these last two. So it's it's the speaking about others and then passing your wisdom into the world. So I think we've we've, we've covered your strengths because I think they are numerous. <laughs> but I mean, again, like the 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 conversation about the about the processing is very interesting. So knowing that there are not many writers like you on Letterboxd because it it doesn't lend itself to that naturally. I mean, you've had to like find ways to bend around it to make it fit into your writing. So what other reviewers do you admire if you've got examples or what do you admire generically about other reviewers? What other writing out there or styles of writing are out there that, that really appeals to you? I have prepared such an extensive notes for this. So obviously, Interesting. Uh, I would challenge that uh, sort of like premise that there aren't a lot of reviewers like me in on other books. Uh, you have people like uh, Drew Edelstein, Daraki Marzipan, uh, Sparky Screening Notes. They they don't always uh, take the time to uh, put out like something with references, for instance, but they do from time to time. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll name some reviews. So Daraki Marzipan, reviews of Sleeping Beauty and Maleficent. That's the first two review I read on the side that kind of like, oh yeah, you can do this on Letterboxd. Because, cool. okay, some backstory time for for a short time. I'll talk about myself a little bit before. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before before Letterbox, I I I'm in this film club with a bunch of friends, and I would write the TXT files after 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 we watch the film, and then like that's yeah, yeah. my that's my film writing for like two years, and then they kind of got sick of me. <laughs> Because I was spammed them every time. <laughs> so, so and then, hey, there's this film review social media site called Letterboxd. Go, go there. And, like, I I, I, <laughs> I went there. This was around the time, what was it? Uh, this was around the time Maleficent 2 came out. So I was logging Maleficent oh, yeah, yeah. 2. Yeah, and I saw this review of, like, Sleeping... Because I, I was re-watching Sleeping Beauty and Maleficent, right? And, like... Yeah, as one does, you know. As yeah, one as one does. <laughs> I do that every year. Uh, Dara Kemar, <laughs> I stumbled across this review uh, by Dara Kemar, Japan, Sleeping Beauty and Maleficent, about how, about sort of like the patriarchal subtext of the original film and sort of like how the remake Maleficent kind of tries to counter that. And I'm like, you can do this shit on Letterbox. Sorry, that's an expletive, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, we 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 run a we run a tight, clean ship at the stacks. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. we're known for our yeah, decorum. Like, you can do that on Letterboxd. <laughs> so like these reviews, like there's uh they have they've got like great misunidee, like mis unseen but for an essay. Like the way the idea flows yeah. into another. It's wonderful and it's also like efficient because like I'm very worthy and like this these reviews yep. like they it won't take you like half an hour to read through them. <laughs> It's great. So like those two, those two reviews, a college paper actually, but it was posted on Letterbox. Uh, That's so uh, Phantom Thread, food is sex. Uh, <laughs> and 
That's 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 really great. Uh, I really love it. But Drew's strength lies. Do you reckon this just speaks to the lack of availability of academic writing out there? Which is the thing that you've spoken to me about before mm-hmm. of that sense that people get exposed to things unless books otherwise wouldn't. And it's like that sense of if not there, where would it be? So people feel the need to post their academic film writing, yeah. their college papers on there, because like otherwise, where else is it going to go? There is like so many voices and, and, and not enough places to hear them. Yeah, like one of the great perils of modern academia is uh, commercial publishing. Like for a lot of people, if they don't know how to get around it, uh, academic writing is often inaccessible legally. You can't, yeah, yeah, like, and it costs money. It costs a lot of money, especially if you're not in an institution which already the existence yeah. of like college or like research groups or whatever, you have to be quite privileged to be in those institutions. Like, Yes, uh-huh. uh, and I feel the need to point out those academics are not getting money from those. Yeah, that is not the money is going. They exactly. do not get paid for that. That yeah. is like a prestige thing of getting published. There's not a paid gig. As speaking to someone who's about to get married to a person that is is an academic and, and <laughs> has written stuff for things. That is not how it works. So a little tip for those listening: um, if you know academics, reach out to them. They will occasionally send you PDFs of yep, stuff. Email them because why wouldn't they? Like I've had that happen a few times. I, like I had an entire book about video nasty sent to me um, because the guy was like, "Well, yeah, I make money. Go bam, read it." I was like, "Fantastic!" Yeah, they'll often be happy. Like it's not tr- like trying to sell a film. They'll prob tr- they'll probably be happy that you want to read their work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Drew Edelson, Phantom Thread. There's also this review of Nomadland, which uh, by Drew Edelson to which. Uh, really touches upon how, like, when we critique Nomadland, it can sometimes feel like part of the thing that that film weaponizes is that this is an authentic neorealist depiction of poverty in yeah. America. And, like, what I love about that review of Nomadland it is is that it uses those verbs of, like, weaponizing mm, yeah. a portrait of, like, real people in, in, in to make a larger point. Uh, I don't want to get into a rant about Nomadland, so let's just skip it. But it's a great review. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we feel very similarly about that movie. We've talked about it uh-huh. in the past. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. There's also Sparky, yeah. Screening Notes. Uh, uh, he, oh, he does citations. He does citations, too. He, he, his yeah. writing is often very imbued in uh, like the, uh, a very strong critical theory uh, background. Very yeah. strong basis in that sense. Uh, I would recommend reading his review of Portrait of of Lady on Fire and The Lure, the the Polish uh, mermaid film, The Lure. Oh yeah, I need to see that. Um, I will see that and then I'll read that. I'll make sure that um, Jack gets links to. Oh, I I already have the Jack. links. I'll send it um, to you after this. <laughs> excellent. Yeah, yeah. So send the links to Jack, uh-huh. and they'll get put into the into the thing. Then there's there of we've touched on e. If Kosovsky Sedgwick, I apologize, it's a very difficult name for yep. me to pronounce. So there's this establishment of like how you need to read into the subtext, and like there's there's this prevailing attitude uh, like that I held in the past too of like you're looking too much into it, and like no, here's yeah, the thing. Yeah, yeah, I get that thrown at me a lot. <laughs> but here's the thing, for for underprivileged narratives like queer narratives, narratives about colonized people. Uh, those things tend to have to be subtextual because the authorities that control the means of proliferation in terms of media would not allow textual, explicit textual uh, allusions to this topic. So what Eve Kosovsky-Selchwick does is uh, ask the question, propose the question, why do we have this approach to, to subtext, yeah. especially queer subtext? Uh, I would recommend the essay 
Jane Austen and the Masturbating Girl. I know it sounds degenerate, <laughs> but here's the thing. The opening paragraph of that essay precisely addresses why do we, when we hear that word, masturbating, why do we have this very negative gut reaction to it? And it's a very enlightening read. And I think it would, it, it form a large part of how I think about subtext, how I read films and That's wider awesome. literature. Uh, there's yeah. also video essays that I really like, Lindsay Ellis and George Whitman. Lindsay Ellis does this... Uh, analysis of films but in the context of like wider, wider industry trends so like i would recommend okay. the death of the hollywood movie musical uh it's about the death of the hollywood movie musical in the 60s <laughs> yeah. and independence day versus world of the worlds which compares american disaster oh worlds american disaster films bit before and after 9-11 it's they're yeah. really good yeah, yeah, yeah. pieces of writing yes is that, is that is that the spielberg war of the world yeah thing? The, it is the the movie like, <laughs> like tom cruise uh covered in ashes running through the streets like yeah <laughs> yeah 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 i've not seen that for a while but that that lingers in the mm-hmm. and sure. it especially in terms of like war of the worlds that that video really helps puts it well why does spielberg make the storytelling cho- choices that he makes why is that that boy so annoying <laughs> like yeah why there's so many metaphors about splinters that's all i remember as well like expanded <laughs> splinter metaphor yeah. it'll work itself out eventually like, that's not how splinters work but okay yep. and then there's george whitman uh, who goes by a uh, super bunny hop on youtube he's a journalist video game journalist uh there's this really excellent foundational uh video essay on uh, media literacy and game news that's what it's called media literacy and game news and what he attempts in that uh piece of uh in that video is here's the theoretical basis for journalism journalism ethics why journalism matters yeah. the methods of journalism and sort of applies it to video game journalism which as we all know is a very very easy topic to talk about on the internet <laughs> which a lot... mm, it's mostly about ethics and video game journalism is what i find is really yep. important ethics in video game journalism uh-huh. and and here, here's the thing, though, about about like talking about video game journalism on the internet. Like when I hear ethics in video game journalism, <laughs> you probably know what my mind is like recalling back. Yeah. Into. Oh, that's that's the joke I was making. <laughs> okay. That's okay. Yeah, I am immune saying. to irony sometimes. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm, that's I'm, exactly what I was I'm to. still kind of like because the effects of gamergate is like still so so widespread, and yep. that sentiment is still so like unironically held that oh. I can't. <laughs> Like hearing hearing a joke that is not clarified is like, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, it's about ethics and games. Yeah. That's all that's about. about ethics and games. Yeah, ethics. <laughs> that's all it's about. Ethics. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And then my tar- my targeted hate campaign <laughs> is about ethics and game journalism. Yeah, my harassment campaign is definitely about ethics and game yeah, journalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's also the abridged video gaming history of big money buyouts and mergers. It's about Big money, my buyout and mergers. These YouTube titles are really descriptive. <laughs> uh, it's it's a very important, w- and it really applies to the film industry too, with with how much market consolidation is happening, especially in America. Yeah, and but and like here's the thing, like it or not, the American film industry is like, well, at this point, the second biggest in terms of money, but uh, it's still very influential. Like we are see, like yeah. we have quite a healthy new wave movement here in Indonesia after after Suharto fell. Like, in the 2000s, we were mm. making, like, new wave films, art films, but we are seeing the same sort of, like, market consolidation here fueled by uh, 
because we never had the chance to unionize our film industry and like it's horrible like like there there's uh. this there's like recent films that general genuinely I would describe them as wanting to be MCU films because they're they're exactly that <laughs> they're big budget uh, they are fueled by ununionized visual effects workers and like uh, and like that's why it matters to talk about these things because like yeah these things even if it's already a fight accomplished you can say it's a fight accomplished that that's how the American film industry works now you can still change that yeah. and you can still also prevent that trend from like being a global trend or at least diminish it anyways yeah watch watch George Whitman he's great Uh <laughs> I will. I we're will. only halfway through all this. I should speed it up. Oh, no. <laughs> Theo, uh we're, we're getting into another box writers now. Uh Theo, Raibu Raibu. Uh great evocative reviews. Oh gosh. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh now we're people that I know. Theo's reviews evokes. They ask all the right questions. They Here's the film. Here's uh, here's a thing. Like the way the way I, this would probably not be reflective of Theo's actual process, but the way I feel like I I like to bring up anecdotes right because like one it catches your attention and yeah. two it's usually it recontextualizes the content of the film. Theo does this too but he, he Theo is a lot better at making you ask those questions because what I do is I ask the question and then I provide my answer right. And that's not the same yeah. thing. Theo's reviews are really evocative. I would recommend uh he's writing on Cure and Tokyo Fist. Those two are great. Calvin Camp, bro, <laughs> and hey, it's all of the hey. things. Like, how do you put it? It's like they're they're very personal, which again, it's not a a thing yeah. I'm able in such a great way. So like when when we talk about Adam McKay, for instance, like it's easy to say like, oh, I hate smug smug things are fuck liberalism, right? Yeah, but like <laughs> way to summarize my what exactly are but like. It, I I I myself kind of kind of like struggle with why do why do I find that like offensive why do I yeah. find that annoying, and like Calvin when when Calvin connected it with like how oh yeah we already know things are fuck what are the, what are your proposals like and yeah. the way he, uh the way he uh grounds that in say that that John Oliver gag in yes. yeah, don't look yeah, up yeah. the don't look up review it's the end of the world as we know it and the film isn't fine yeah, yeah, it's yeah. generally one of the best reviews on that side. Mm. <laughs> I I, like, I, I love I, that. Yeah, I I I I edited that review and when reading through, it was just like damn, 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 damn. Yeah. Ah, yeah. yeah. So it's not at your expense. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. No, I I, I uh, made it what it was. No, 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 no. So. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely credit to the editor, Stephen. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, inside out, learning to feel again. Uh, I I I do fear a bit recommending a piece of writing that does seem very personal, but yeah. like that. That also kind of has a really huge impact on me. I'm like, mm. wow, <laughs> no words. Like, go read it. Uh, yeah. Zebra, Fawn, previous <laughs> guest again. <laughs> Zebra and Calvin going for the competition of can they be mentioned on every episode? <laughs> Deservingly <laughs> so, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 see who we'll see who gets the Some of the comedy. Go, you know who I hate, Calvin. Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be Calvin probably that's a sad thing ah <laughs> uh, you're already self depreciating at the twin Peaks. Mm. uh zebra phone uh like 
he's talking about his process and his goals. So Ricky Oh, that review really, really <laughs> does make you relieve the, really does make you feel like, oh yeah, I'm reliving the experience of watching Ricky Oh again. Which it's great. I would love to do. Uh, like, I, you give me an instant shot of Ricky Oh. Uh, Zebra's review of Kimi. Yes. The Steven Soderbergh film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent breakdown of like the, the, the ethics of that film and like sort of like its goals. Ben. I think I edited that. <laughs> Ben's Drive My Car has been talked about a lot. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It deserves it. I would also really like to bring up uh, Ben's review of Silence again. Yeah, uh, I was so happy because I, I remember watching Silence. So this is a, a pointless anecdote, but like you, I love anecdotes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not a big, I mean, I love Scorsese, but I love Scorsese more as a filmic ambassador than I do as a filmmaker. I think his world cinema project is hugely important. I think his cur- curatorial yep. work is really important. As a filmmaker, I go very hot and cold on him. I don't I don't hold many of his movies in like that. Kind of, I mean, I have a top 100 that I keep. There's no Scorsese in there. I mean, it's addictive for that. He's not like a top tier for me. Um, and I remember um, when Silence came out it was when myself and my partner weren't, were were living at different sides of the country because of work. Um, and we were kind of we were talking on the phone a lot and seeing the same movies, but like different times. And she went to see it the the night before. And I was like, oh, good luck with that. Like three hour, like Martin Scorsese. I feel bad about like Christianity movie. Seems like an absolute drag. <laughs> and um, she I mean, didn't 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 love it. And I, and I went into it. And I went to see it the next day. And just sat down, was being like, oh, three hours of like boring Scorsese. And I was just utterly blown away by it. I thought it was absolutely astonishing. Um, and it's one of those films I'm like, was I just wrong? And I was, I was like, I think that Ben's going to like this. I hope that Ben's going to like this. But also, Ben knows so much more about these things than I do know about these things. And like, it was such like a, I don't know, personally validating, also a lovely thing to see like that that movie, like, starting such a call with him because I, I love that movie so much and I haven't revisited it. Um, and I'm, I'm scared to be wrong or realize that i am wrong and it was just, just great to read that that's my random anecdote there you go <laughs> are really mostly personally resonant because i too grew up in the catholic school system and like struggling with that like i'm constantly lapsing and relapsing back out of it yeah. and silence is just such such it it's hard to say like one definite piece of like christian media that like really really resonates with me but yeah. silence is probably one of them like and Ben's review of it really, really, yeah, really. If if you, if you watch Silence and you want more more of that contemplation, yeah, I think like it would be interesting to read uh, other people's like response to that film. And like Ben's is like one of the best you can read out about Silence. Yeah, I I, I like Ben's reviews a lot, especially when he's in that mode of mm-hmm. like it's more extending the film out rather than just like replying yeah. to it. It's that like the thematic. I mean, the Drive My Car one does that. Obviously, it's that sense of being like continuing in that like it's it's interesting we, we to a, to a great extent love films because the stories they tell and therefore writing that is personal and like that tells stories we're also going to love as well for that same reason you feel like you want to review a ben review is the great thing <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah last one steven gillespie Ugh. uh this will either embarrass or inflate you uh i mean probably both i'm a complicated man <laughs> <laughs> Great, and I'm thinking of ending things right where where uh, Lucy recounts an anecdote, not not an anecdote, like the entire review of a woman under the influence by Pauline yeah. Gale, and uh, sorry, who's the director's name? Charlie Kaufman. Kaufman Charlie yeah. Kaufman said, like this, he put this in here because he had like similar experiences in the past where he has an opinion regarding a film, but then his words fail, and then like he 
because and like that word failing is probably because like maybe you're seeing the the holes in your argument and like yeah. maybe but you're not at the point where you can sort of like externalize yourself from that idea and then you read a piece of writing by someone you admire and it makes you feel stupid but it also validates that gut feeling of like when when your words fail because like oh yeah this makes a lot more sense than what i was thinking uh Steven's review of Ansandi. How how do you pronounce that? Oh yeah, Ansandi. Yeah, yeah, that's not a movie I enjoy. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel. <laughs> because I I will admit the aesthetics the aesthetics of that film won me over, the first time I saw it. Like I thought that I love this film, <laughs> but then I had like I keep when when they when people were asking me like what do you think? I don't know. I'm still trying to process it. What 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 does this French Canadian filmmaker? Uh, making a film about like a former French colony in the Middle yeah. East, well, trying to say, especially by the obfuscation. <laughs> yeah, especially by that obfuscation. Like and like at the time, I kind of retreat into that mode. Oh, he's probably like compensating for the fact that he's aware he's writing about yeah. a former French colony, and like maybe he doesn't want to as as like a francophone person contribute to that new colonization by like doing that takes on like. That former French colony, but like also, but like, I feel like the those arguments are kind of like grasping at straws, right? and then like I read the reviews and like, oh yeah, that that makes sense. <laughs> I feel stupid now, but also like feel very validated. Uh, but Stephen is not just like not just inflammatory hot takes. Like, <laughs> they pick in the city. That's, the introduction. That's why it's in Sundays. It's so hot. <laughs> Because it's burning, it's yeah. Burning. But yeah, Stephen's introduction to Babe, Pick in the City. <laughs> All of my reviews work sort of like in the in the retrospective. You've seen the film, or I'll, I'll pretend you've seen the film, and I'll I'll talk to you like I've seen the film. What something that's so different from what I do is trying to introduce a piece of cinema okay, to someone yeah, else, yeah. and like. Arguing for you should watch these films and Babe Pick in the City does so that it's also a video essay now. It was yeah, an yeah, introduction yeah. Yeah, to a watch party I miss because of time zones. Yeah, good watch we, we need to invent and yeah, Babe Pick in the City. It's on Jack's channel. Is yes, it? on the stacks. It's it's in the stacks feed. I think you can listen to it there as well. So yeah, it's yeah. official stacks. Uh, and also, this was a little bit of personal. Uh, Your review of another round. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm smart. Yeah, that's really good. But another round. That's, my that's, review that's of really my review of Thomas Finterberg's another round. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, but it's genuinely really good, and it's especially and like uh and it's not just because you're a teacher and it's a film about teachers, yeah. right? but but like it just it, it feels like another window inside the window to another yeah. world. It's genuinely great. I so I feel really good are... about that because I get a lot of people that obviously because it's become quite a popular review of like come to it and like leave things like oh I didn't think about this aspect you've not changed the film but you, you've made me think and I, that's that's what I want I mean it goes back to that I I do like to introduce something I do like to do I I view one of the things that I do is like there is a either a new way of looking at things or there is a film out there that you that you should check out and I'm always really really happy when someone's just like oh i hadn't thought about this this way and this has actually changed my perspective in occasionally i just get people saying that you're wrong about this and i'm like yeah i probably am but whatever um but yeah <laughs> yeah so that's that I, i've exhausted my list that's 
Th- there are a lot of more people, yeah. but at, at this point in time, these are the ones that <laughs> I like to back. So, people are going to go out there. They're going to write. They're going to write their pluribus reviews. Um, what is your go-to piece of advice for someone that wants to write better, write good, get good, etc.? I'll give you three. Nice. One, leave no advice unquestioned. Leave no thing unquestioned. Yes. Question everything. Good. That's what I think. If Brilliant. someone tells you, yeah, if someone tells you, you need to do this thing or all good writers do this thing, question that. Why is it? Yeah. Is, is, is that really true? Is that applicable in every, every case? Or maybe that's a bit too semantical for you. Is that really true in my particular case? And question questioning as you'll well. You'll come out. Yeah. <laughs> you'll come out uh, and... The irony of this, I'm fully aware, is that <laughs> this is a general statement commenting on general statements, but like, come on. Yeah, I know. I'm going to ask, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Don't be obtuse. Uh, but when you, when you question a piece of advice, you'll understand yeah. that you'll, if, if that advice is good, you'll understand why someone is giving you that piece of advice. And you'll be, able, you'll be better able to, apl- to apply that mm piece of advice to your process and if they're not good then you'll know that they're not good and you won't waste your time on it essentially yeah number two Uh uh-huh continue 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 okay okay number two read widely inform yourself especially in film in fields outside of film yeah like try to get out of the internet recycle bin like i'm not accusing anyone of this (laughs) and I, I was, but like, essentially, art is not insular, right? You cannot view art or science or any, anything really as like its own independent thing. It exists within the systems of human society. So criticism of art, criticism of film shouldn't be either. It shouldn't be insular either. Read widely, read economics, learn about economics, l- learn history, learn philosophy or whatever. Learn, learn, learn the depths of... Video game journalism. It will <laughs> learning about <laughs> learning about certain things will help you better able to learn about certain other things. I agree. And the ideas that you'll get along the ways, the debates that you'll see along the ways, it will all help you become a better reader and by extension a better writer. Three, this is the most specific one. Be aware of what sort of authorial audience you're writing for. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll summarize this idea a little bit, but you can read the thing in my review of I'm thinking of anything. Yeah. Essentially, there's both in fiction and nonfiction. There's the actual audience and authorial audience. Actual audience are the human beings who are reading your text. Yeah. Authorial audience are the uh, imit not imitation uh, are the hypothetical people yeah. who you address your text to, and when you are aware of this. You'll better. You'll have better control over what piece of information you can assume your reader already know, yeah. and therefore will be better for them. What piece of information probably needs testing because they're not being talked about enough. What sort of anecdotes would amuse them? What sort of things would bore them? What, and especially also like, if you're, especially if you're writing outside of like your personal sort of like demographics, you can also think about how would this impact someone? Would this would this make someone who is under who who is oppressed, who is depressed, uh, feel even worse about their situations? Would this would this to to someone other than yourself, how how would this piece of writing impact them? 
and it's not just about social responsibility it's not just about being responsible it's also about being a better writer because now you have better control over tone yeah. better control of over scope and yeah it really helps i think that's that, that's stunning advice i think that's really really good i mean um, so teaching um english language a level like a thing that we talk there's one question they have to do which is about like representations in texts and the thing we always mm -hmm. say is that every text represents its writer and its reader that the reader is represented in the text and you can you can analyze the positioning of the reader and the way it's presented across there that there is this like pre-existing dialogue um so yeah writing and projecting out your reader already is a, is a very important thing to think about at the moment it's definitely what i think about when i'm writing that idea of like a, a constant dialogue happening and it very much shapes you can probably read it in my writing i think like overly so of that sense of like going back and going across and like over explaining um thank you so much um it's been like beyond a pleasure i feel this could this could go on and on and on and on and on um but it does <laughs> need to stop at some point just because uh, there's so many questions i didn't ask you that i wanted to ask you um which is a shame but yeah. there'll be a, there'll be another time i'm sure um and if anyone's got any further questions i mean you you know where plurry is in discords just throw those questions and they'll give you the best responses yeah. that you'll ever want um thank you so much mm -hmm. um, thank you so much too Stephen, for the interview yeah no, uh, yes. re really a pleasure i mean do you have anything to to plug of your own or anything to point towards yourself any platforms you want to make people aware of uh, I'm on Letterbox. Yeah. Pluribus. P L U R I E B U S. That's P as in Pabs, G W L as in Latimos, Yorgos. <laughs> U as in Uncrits Lee. Ratherman as in Wolfgang Ratherman. <laughs> I as in Itami Juzo. E as in Roland Emmerichs. Beson as in Luke. Underwood as in Ron. And Scott as in Tony and Ridley. P L U R I E B U S. You can also find me on YouTube. Yeah. I was. So the only video on the channel got copyright strike into oblivion. There will be more because I love pain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on Discord on the r slash leatherbox server, yep. on the Twin Geek server. Uh, you can mention me there. You yep. can also reach out to me on Twitter. Same, same name. I'm new to the platform, so be nice to me, please. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all. I have a project uh stewing in the background with with the other half of the stack yes i yeah I, I i've heard it alluded to yeah but i have no idea what that is and that, that that i might i might try and get an inside yeah. scoop on that if you know both of us you probably know what it is about i'm gonna get oh well, i don't want to stereotype but I'm, i can <laughs> i can guess a kind of thing it's gonna be about. yeah guess what kind of thing it would yeah. be about uh yeah let let us know let let jack know on twitter and yeah. let me know on twitter what you think it's about yeah <laughs> um, I I want to end this uh, with a little thing. I know this is not 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 true of you now, but um, the the one of the brilliances of of pluribus, and I, actually um, another um, user um, para is a reminder of this. If I was brought up right, you know, I was brought up with this like clear idea of never trust someone on the internet with an anime um, profile picture, um, <laughs> and I just like to thank people like yourself for showing me that that too was a bigoted stance. And that my 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 hatred and and kind of like fear of the the anime profile picture people was misplaced. So thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to respond to that. It's just a, a rule of thumb of being like, mm, don't trust those types. But no, I was wrong. You were right. Thank you so much. Yeah, I should I should throw the Snoopy back out and put the anime girl back on. <laughs> <laughs> or find anime Snoopy. Um, all right, so you please follow the stacks as we continue to stack. Um, I don't know when this will be up because I'm trying to record a whole a whole selection of getting a backdrop. We've got some pretty exciting people lined up. 
Uh, we will get to Calvin eventually, but we know we're going to get to Calvin. So we're just going to get to Calvin. Calvin, I've spoken to Calvin. We'll get to Calvin. It'll happen. Um, but I've got a couple of interesting people in the meantime who you can be very, very excited about and uh, reaching out to some other folks. Hopefully we'll get some more greatness on here. So yeah, Plurry, you've been outstanding. Um, and, you know, speaking of thinking of ending things, to quote my good friend Vaughan of the Thinking of Spoiling Things podcast, I'm thinking of ending this podcast. Au revoir. Thank you.